Amen. Take your Bible, turn to 2 Peter tonight, 2 Peter chapter 1, and looking forward to getting back into our study here. Obviously, you're sitting in a few different places tonight, and uh, after church, if you're able to help us for a few minutes, we are going to uh, move some seating around to try to uh, get all the new chairs in here. I think they'll fit just well, and so afterwards, we'll take these two pews out. There's the last two to go, and uh, we were... Uh, didn't know exactly when they'd go. We'd offered them to a number of people, and they came and got most of them already this week. So we said, well, let's move the chairs in. Uh, these purple chairs are going to go up to the front part of the building, some of them, and some of them are going to be used in the fellowship hall in different places. And so we got a lot of things to move around. If you're able to help us for a few minutes, that'd be great. And uh, that way we'll have a place for everybody to sit on Sunday morning. Second Peter chapter 1. And I hope you got some notes tonight. These are some comforting words here in verse 10 and 11. And I want to start out by reading those two verses. Those will be our text where we're going to focus tonight for our Bible study. But then we're going to go back and read verses 5 through 9. So let's start with verse 10. It says, Wherefore, the rather brethren, you give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things... Ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you notice at the end of verse 10, it says, For if ye do these things, ye shall never fail. So let's go back and read verses 5 through 9 so we can better understand what these things are. He says, And beside this, Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. And here he uses that phrase, these things, in verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the positive side, but then he talks about if you don't have these things, look at verse 9, but he that lacketh these things is blind. Talking about spiritual blindness here, and cannot see afar off. You're not going to have discernment and the ability to have a faithful, uh, long-term Christian life. You're going to stumble and fall. He says, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather. That's where we get into our text again. Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. So I'm not going to take a lot of time to go through the list of these things. If you were here a couple weeks ago, Alan spent some time on that list and uh, helped us to think about what these things are and how they should be added into our life and how these things are important for our spiritual growth. Because God didn't just save you just to sit and be still spiritually. He saved you, gave you new life so that you could begin the process of growing spiritually. We believe in something, uh, the, the theological term for it is progressive sanctification. In other words, you grow little by little by little, and sometimes it's a little faster, sometimes it may be a little slower, but when you get saved, you're not instantly 
up at this super high spiritual plane and you're never going to struggle and you're never going to sin and you're never going to have any problems anymore. That's what we would call glorification. And that happens when we enter heaven someday. But when we get saved, that's justification. When God says, I've made you just as if you've never sinned. He's justified us. We're justified in the eyes of God. But we still sin. We still have struggle. So then begins the process of sanctification. And so I know Alan spent some time talking about that process of sanctification in your life. But here in 2 Peter, as Peter is writing to Christians, he's speaking to them towards the end of his life. And he's really trying to prepare them to go on spiritually without him. I think this is very important, even in the, the stage that our church is in, as it begins to grow and God continues to work, that we continue to grow in our dependence on the Lord for our spiritual growth, our dependence on His Word, and of course, our dependence on one another. I was actually talking with another pastor today, and he said it this way, you don't want to be the only hinge that your church hangs on. And I think that's good. Sometimes we can put ourselves in a position in our families, in our churches, in our areas of influence that we're kind of that one hinge that holds everything. And if we weren't there, the whole thing would fall apart. If I do that as a pastor, I'm doing this church a disservice. And if you're doing this in your own circle of influence, you are doing them a disservice by making yourself the only key that holds it all together. The only one that we should be dependent on ultimately is Jesus Christ. And if you find yourself only dependent on, well, if Pastor Will doesn't pay attention to me or this person doesn't call me or this doesn't happen, that's an that's a area of concern in your spiritual life to say, yeah, sure, I, I want to have that personal connection. We all do. And I want to have that with you as well. And yes, I want to have that connection with one another in the church. We should. That's what a body does. It works together. It fellowships together. But ultimately, your relationship with God should be dependent upon God. And not about just what someone else says or does. But that takes growth, doesn't it? Think about a baby who's born into your family. If you have a child, when they first come into this world, they are completely dependent on you for everything. But as they grow, you're hoping as they grow towards maturity, they become less dependent on you. It doesn't mean they have a less close relationship with you, but rather they become self-sufficient. Now, as a Christian growing, we're not trying to grow towards self-sufficiency, but rather God's sufficiency and, and sufficient in our Savior, Jesus Christ. But Paul speaks about this as he's written to churches, and Peter as well, I think, is talking about how he's helping and encouraging these Christians to grow towards being spirit-dependent and dependent upon their Savior and their relationship with God. This is why he gives them this list in verses 5 through 9. But then in verse 10 and 11, where we're going to focus tonight, he really goes back and he reminds them where they've come from, and he reminds them and encourages them about where they're going to. So he begins by reminding them of their calling and election, and then he finishes by encouraging them and challenging them about their reward that they could expect in heaven one day. And so as he says in verse number 10, Wherefore, the rather brethren, he's speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God, give diligence to make your calling 
and election, sure. I want to talk for a little bit on the Christian's calling. What is our calling? You see, back during uh, the time when Peter would have written this, one of the rulers of the world was an emperor by the name of Nero. Maybe you've heard of Nero. He was not a good man, a very wicked man. He killed lots of people that were opposed to him and killed a lot of Christians, killed anybody that really didn't like. And his way to try to build popularity for himself, one of the things he did, besides sponsoring all kinds of gladiator games and all kinds of uh, public, you know, awful things that went on as blood was spilt and as awful atrocities were done, he had a, had a lottery system by which people could enter into this lottery and if they won, they would be invited to his palace and he would give them a prize. It might be some slaves, it might be a, a new home, it might be some new horses. And so the people in the land, they would enter into this lottery trying to gain a special uh, relationship or receive a special gift from the king. Now, in a sense, Peter is writing about this in a very opposite way. He's not saying, yeah, be like Nero or live like a follower of Nero who just has to hope that by random chance you're going to end up with favor before the king. But rather, he's saying we can make our relationship, our calling, sure. We can be confident in it. He tells us to be diligent to do this. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. This calling, God's calling refers to His work in salvation on our behalf. We are saved because He has called us unto Himself. It is interesting to see that this same word is used in what we do to receive salvation. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are saved when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, when we call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. But it's interesting to think that God has called us as well. Our calling upon God would do no good if God did not also call us. Just crying out to a God who's not listening, who doesn't care about you, would you do no good. And yet God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world, so that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. So how do we make our calling sure? How can we be diligent to do this? We must be obedient to the things that God has laid out for us to grow spiritually. The list in verses 5 through 9 to see that process of faith and virtue and brotherly kindness and all these other things being added into our lives. It would kind of be like this. If we were not to make our calling sure, it'd be sort of like if I said, well, I'm called to be a pastor this is something that only God can do. But then I become a pastor and say, yeah, I feel called to do this. I become a pastor, but then I don't work hard at being a good pastor. Would I have much security in my calling as a pastor? Probably not. In fact, you'd look at me and say, well, he's not very good at it. You know, he's been called to this, but he's not trying. He's not putting the effort. He's not working at it. I don't really know if this guy's called to do it. Sort of like somebody who says, well, I've called upon the Lord. I, I've, I've trusted in Christ. I'm saved. 
but they don't behave like a Christian. They don't walk in obedience. It would cause them and others to doubt. A lot of people have struggled with, well, am I really saved or am I not saved? One of the ways to have confidence in your calling, to make your calling sure, he says it right here, to give diligence to make sure that these things are in your life. If there's not spiritual growth happening in your life, it makes you unsure of your calling. So he's, he's encouraging these Christians. He's, he's probably close to his death, Peter is as he's writing this. And he's saying if you want to be confident in your calling that you have been called, that you have called upon the Lord, then live as a Christian ought to live. Grow in your obedience. Grow in your knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity. If you're not giving diligence to grow in these areas, you're not going to be very confident in your calling. So he reminds them and challenges them. He says, give diligence to make your calling sure. And then he also says, and election. Now this word can be scary to some as they read it and say, what, 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 what about election? I've heard some things about that. Well, this is the part, while we might get nervous about it, this word is used over and over in Scripture. We don't have to be afraid of, of the Bible. We just need to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we have to be careful because I think sometimes as Christians we shy away from certain passages because words in those passages get associated with different theological systems that maybe we're not comfortable with. Understand this. Theological systems are things that men have developed trying to systematize the Word of God. But God wrote His Word. So it's not wrong in a sense to try to put a system and try to understand it, but we've got to be very careful that we don't try to take God's Word and force it into our system. Rather, we take our system and bend it to what God's Word has already said because God's Word always is preemptive, always above any system of man. And every time we try to draw a perfect system and say, this is how it has to work, we will always fall short because God's bigger than we are. And every time we try to say, well, I've got him all figured out and I can explain all this just right, is when we've probably allowed our pride and arrogance to get in the way of what God has already laid out. So I just say that to say, don't be afraid of this word, but, but take some time to study it out. And I'm going to give you just something real brief tonight. And if this doesn't give you everything you want, we can discuss it more later. I'm happy to do that because we don't have to be afraid of the Word of God, okay? The election of God is that He has put us in Christ. When you study out the New Testament, the Scripture always refers to the, the elect as those who are in Christ, those who are saved. If you look in your Bible, take it and turn back to the previous book, to 1 Peter, the first epistle that Peter wrote, chapter 1 and verse 2. He's writing to these believers these that are scattered around through Pontus, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And he says in verse 2, "...elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied." So we use the same ideas. Those who are elect are those who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. 
Some people would like to say election is God choosing people to these are going to be saved and these are not going to be saved. And so you really have no say in the matter and you're just stuck. You're either elect or you're not. Now, in a sense, you are either elect or you're not because you're either saved or you're not saved. But election is based upon, based on 1 Peter 1, 2, upon God's foreknowledge. God knows what decision you are going to make. When people get saved, it doesn't surprise God. God's not sitting up in heaven when somebody got saved and say, oh man, I didn't expect that one to make it in. No, God knew. He knows it all. And people say, well, if God knows it all, then how is he not forcing people to make that decision ahead of time? I don't know. I just know he's God. And he said, you can call upon me and be saved, and whosoever calls will be saved. But he also says he knows who's going to be saved. Now, for us, foreknowledge would thereby mean we had forced somebody to do something. But that's not how God teaches it in his word. Is there a tension there? Yes. Is there some things we can't fully explain? Sure. But that's okay. Because right now we live by faith, not by sight. Someday our faith will become sight, and that'll be when we enter heaven. And until then, there are some things that we just trust God. But that being said, how do we make our election sure? Because He tells us to do that here. How are we sure that we are in Christ? Well, the same way we can be sure that we've been called is by living faithfully in obedience to God's Word. See, as the Bible tells us, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Many people that struggle with assurance of their salvation are people who are not living in faithful obedience to the Lord. Now, that may not be you. I know some people who have really struggled. They say, I'm trying to do everything obediently that I, that I know to do, and I'm still struggling with my salvation. If that's you, generally, that means we should take some more time to study out God's Word and His promises. Amen. And there's just maybe something in His Word that you're not fully comprehending of God's promises to you, because God's faithful to keep His promises. And if that's you, God loves you, and I love you, and I want to help you to grow in that area because that's a hard thing. If you're struggling with whether or not you're sure you're saved, it's really hard to live in confidence if you're not sure about your calling and election. But what I want to encourage you with tonight is this thought. You don't have to sit there and wonder, was I elect or was I not elect? No. If you've called upon the name of the Lord, you've trusted Him as your Savior, you can be confident in your calling and election, and you can work out that confidence, make it sure as you continue in obedience to the Lord. That's not a works-based salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, but rather it's the response to someone who's been saved that they would begin to behave in a certain way and grow in a certain way, working out with all diligence, working out your salvation, proving it to be true. Again, back to my illustration. Someone says they're called to be a pastor, but they don't behave like a pastor. They don't act like a pastor. We doubt whether or not they're really a pastor. If you're a Christian, if you've called upon the name of the Lord, if you've trusted in Him as your Savior, demonstrate that through a life of change. Book of James, faith without works is dead being 
alone. You see, God does not just condemn people to hell on a whim. No, we are condemned to hell based on our own sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the second part of the verse, of course, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God's not just sitting up in heaven, just has a randomizer up there. All right, this one's going to be saved. This one's not. I like this guy. don't like this guy. No, we're all condemned to death because of our sin. But it's through the gift of God that we have eternal life. How do we receive the gift of eternal life? We receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Who did Jesus die for? The world. He died for all. Who can receive His salvation? Any who call upon the name of the Lord, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Notice what happens to the person who is diligent to make their calling and election sure as they are faithful in these things. He says, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. That word to fall is the Greek word pateo, which means to trip up or stumble. He's not saying like, fall out and lose your salvation fall. That's not this word, and it's used multiple times in the New Testament, and it never refers to this. This is like getting tripped up and stumbling. You're walking down a path. It doesn't mean you fell off the path. It doesn't mean you quit going down the path, but you just tripped up as you were going along. How can we keep from tripping up spiritually, keep from falling spiritually, keep from messing up, be diligent to do these things, add your faith, virtue, and virtue, all, all that list of things. Say, well, is anybody always diligent? No, we all fall, don't we? What he's saying is, this is what we need to be striving for in our life, that we are to be growing spiritually in these things. This really speaks against the Christian who would like to say, well, I've arrived, I've made it spiritually, I'm doing all these things, I've got it all together. And then we go back and read verses 5 through 9 honestly and say, wait a minute, no, I don't. I have areas I need to grow, I need to work on, I need God's help to help me grow spiritually in these areas. But I do know that by growing spiritually, it will help me to avoid stumbling and tripping up and messing up and falling spiritually. Those who are falling and failing and messing up spiritually, this is a helpful tool for you as well. Maybe you have a friend or maybe you're yourself. You say, man, I keep falling and failing and messing up. Go back and look at this list. Are you being diligent to add these types of things into your life. If you're not, ask God for strength and help. Confess your sin to Him. He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and be diligent to walk in obedience with Him. And then he says in verse 11, we we get to the Christian's reward. So we've seen the Christian's calling, the Christian's election, and now we see a Christian's reward. He says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He reminds them, there's a great reward to the believer. What's that reward? Well, we see three parts of this reward. There will be a Wonderful welcome home. 
He says, this entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. It's exciting to think that when you enter heaven someday, there's going to be not just you excited about it, there's going to be people there excited that you've made it home to heaven. I think Jesus will be excited to see those that he gave his life for when they enter heaven someday. I think God the Father will be excited to see his children come home. Just like any father's excited when their children come home. We know that the angels rejoice over the sinner who repents and is saved. There's going to be great rejoicing in heaven someday when you reach your home. He says this reward, the Christian's reward, this wonderful welcome home, it'll be abundant. And notice it's into the everlasting kingdom. It will be forever. He says your reward, it's going to be an abundant reward. It's going to be a wonderful day when you reach heaven. It's going to be forever. And then he finishes off verse 11 talking about who will be there. There will be a lot of people in heaven someday that I'm looking forward to having eternity to get to know them and talk with them and, and hear how God worked in their life and hear the stories of David and, and Paul and all those great people of faith. I'd love to sit down and spend some time with Ruth and Queen Esther and, and hear their stories of what it would have been like to live in the days that they did. But the greatest one of all that we look forward to more than anybody else is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Think about this. Again, Peter's original audience, he's writing to these Christians. They're, they're scattered all over the place. Life is hard as a Christian in the time that Peter's writing. They're facing persecution. People are being beheaded for their faith. They're being thrown to the gladiators and to the wild animals. It's not a good time to be a Christian, humanly speaking. He's trying to encourage them. He says, make your calling and election sure. Make sure that you know that you know that you have your faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, the day we live in today is not as bad as it was for them in that day, but it could get a lot worse than it is. And I believe if it were to get a lot worse for Christians, humanly speaking, physically in our country, there would be a lot of Christians that maybe they weren't really Christians in the first place. I don't know. We don't know their heart. But their behavior may not match up because all of a sudden it gets a lot harder to become a Christian. What would we do in that day if all of a sudden it's illegal to be a Christian or it's illegal to meet together and worship God, or it's no longer culturally acceptable to be a Christian. How are we going to deal with those things? That's the kind of day that these people were in. That's why I called them strangers scattered abroad in 1 Peter. How are we going to overcome? Well, we've got to remember our calling. We've got to be confident in it. Because if you don't have any confidence in it, You'll just walk away and leave it and say, you know what, hey, this is too hard. I'll go find something easier to do. 
It's nice to be a Christian when we're experiencing all these wonderful benefits and, oh man, God's working in my heart and it was exciting and I have a great group of friends at my church and, you know, I'm enjoying being around people and, and boy, they make some good food at those international dinners and the men's breakfast and the barbecue time and the ladies' tea. I, I really enjoy those benefits of being a Christian and I've enjoyed them a lot lately, so I'm going to have to enjoy them a little less probably. But what if all those were taken away? Why, enjoy? I'm sitting in a comfortable seat tonight. These seats, for being a tall person, they come up a little higher on my back. There's no piece of wood across the top. And I've even noticed some people sleeping tonight because they're just so comfortable. I understand. These folks are waiting to get all the goody when it, when it comes in. These people, they're like, no, we're going to wear these seats out already and get in early. But what if all that was taken away? What if we came Sunday and the, the doors were barred and we couldn't get in and we just had to go back to our homes? I hope that day doesn't come for us, but it could. It did for these Christians. That's why we've got to be sure, be confident in our faith, to know that we're grounded and know where we came from, that, that we were lost and we deserve death and hell and, and know what Christ saved us from and know what He saved us to. Know what our reward is someday. Because only then can we continue to live a faithful Christian life, no matter what comes at us from the world around us. Maybe some of you last night stayed up and watched the President's State of the Union speech, and I'm thankful for some of the things he said in support of life and in support of freedom and in support of our country and in support of those things. That's a blessing. But if you noticed, and I know you did, there was a very clear divide last night of people that really enjoyed what he had to say and people that hated what he had to say. And as Christians, we can sit back and say, well, at least we're on the winning side right now. But we may not be for very much longer in our country. And we may not really be even now. We just may think that we are for a little while. And I think as Christians, it's so important to realize there is an enemy that hates righteousness and they hate godliness and they hate the Word of God, and that enemy isn't just people. The Bible is very clear. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The battle is real. and The battle is ongoing. Souls matter. Jesus died for them. But as a believer, we need to be faithful to continue to share the good news. Amen? But we also got to be faithful to walk in obedience and continue to grow. Because some of the fringe benefits that we enjoy right now, being a Christian, those might be taken away. But the greatest benefit of all, the personal relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing can take that away from you. They can lock you up in prison, but they can't take away your relationship with Jesus Christ. They can take away your freedom, but they can't take away your relationship with Jesus Christ. They can even take your life, but they can't take away your relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a Christian, I think it's so important to, to constantly be refocused and lasered back in, if you will, focused back in on, on what really matters and why we're really here and what God really wants from us. Because there's a whole lot of things out there that right now, as a Christian, we have the freedom to do. You know, we, we can go here and do that, and we can have these events, and we can have meals, and we have programs, and we can 
put in new chairs. And new, we can do a lot of fun stuff and call it all Christian work. But I think we've got to also remember that that could all be stripped away. And hopefully you would be able to say, I'm still sure. I'm still confident in my relationship with God. I'm confident because God has done a work in me and I'm obedient to Him because of what He's done for me. Not to earn His favor, but in response to it because of love. And I'm going to be obedient to the Lord and I'm looking forward to one day that abundant reward when that welcoming committee is there to welcome us into heaven and we'll get to spend eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep your focus on the right thing. Keep your eyes on the Lord and walk with Him. And all this other stuff, don't worry about that so much. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Let Him deal with the other things that come along the way. And we can be faithful to Him and not stumble, never fall, as it says. Let's pray. Father, help us as we consider these simple thoughts from a couple verses here in Your Word tonight. Lord, I'm challenged by Your Word every time it seems like that I read it and feel less and less worthy to present it because, Lord, You show me things in my life that need to change. Lord, I pray that You'd help me to be diligent in my walk with You so that I could be the person that you would have me to be, to encourage others and answer the questions of others and lead my family, take care of my children as I should, to lead my church and take care of this church as you would have me to do because it's not really mine. Even my family, Lord, is, it's a gift from you. And Lord, help us to understand that, that everything we have comes from you. And without your direction and your wisdom and your help and your strength, we have nothing. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.